This program is a production of Restoring the Core, an initiative designed to assist those wishing to go deeper into classic Christianity with resources available in a connected age, online at restoringthecore.com. This is Finding Hidden Treasure, episode 118. Over my years as a believer in Christ, I've come across a number of accounts of fellow believers who spoke about a time in their walk with Christ when they realized that they needed to act more decisively on their faith. While they were already believers in Christ, they knew that they needed to take their faith more seriously. There are times when we come to realize that, to use sports terminology, we need to up our game. Coming to this realization and following it up with action has been, for many believers, close to a second conversion experience. I'm not speaking necessarily of a rededication of your life to Christ. At least in American church culture, there are so many events such as an emotionally charged church service, or a concert of worship songs that might lead us to want to rededicate our lives at the end of the event. Perhaps a real rededication has happened. Perhaps it is simply an emotional response to emotional stimuli. Only time will tell if the changes of the moment are still there a month, a year, or decades afterward. Please understand, I think that a new level of taking the faith seriously is not necessarily a one-time only event. What I'm referring to is a desire to walk with Christ in deeper ways and have that desire manifest itself in how we think and how we act. I thought about this recently as I was reading an online post from a young Christian woman. In the post, this individual wrote how she believes that she is hearing from God more and more clearly. As a result, she wants to speak more clearly about Christ and his truth in her online presence. There are two accounts which I think demonstrate such a taking the faith seriously. The first comes from the Old Testament book of Second Chronicles. In chapter 29 of that book, we find an account of King Hezekiah at the start of his reign. Let me supply some brief history to supplement our understanding. Hezekiah's father, Ahaz, was king prior to Hezekiah. We find an account of his reign in the prior chapter of Second Chronicles chapter 28. In verses 1-4, through 4, we get a sense of how Ahaz conducted himself as king. We read, Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do right in the sight of the Lord, as David his father has done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He also made molten images for the Baals. Moreover, he burned incense in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, and burned his sons in fire, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had driven out before the sons of Israel. He sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. In addition, we read in verses 22 through 24, Now in the time of his distress, the same king Ahaz became yet more unfaithful to the Lord. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, and said, Because the gods of the kings of Aram helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they became the downfall of him and all Israel. Moreover, when Ahaz gathered together the utensils of the house of God, he cut the utensils of the house of God in pieces, and he closed the doors of the house of the Lord, and made altars for himself in every corner of Jerusalem. From these texts, we get a good sense of just how horrid King Ahaz was in the sight of God. There's also a little bit of historical scholarship that will help us understand the reigns of King Ahaz and King Hezekiah. One problem that Old Testament scholars have wrestled with is how to fit in the history of the reigns of the kings of Judah with other known historical events. One scenario can be summarized as, King 1 reigns, then dies, 
King two begins ruling only after King one dies, and so on and so forth. If that scenario is used throughout, reconciling the dates of kingly reigns with other historical events becomes a problem. However, if we understand that there were co-regencies, that is, there were father and son kings who, for a period of time, ruled together until the death of the older king, we see a hint of this in the reigns of King David and King Solomon. We read in 1 Kings chapters 1 and 2 that David was still alive when his son Solomon was anointed king of the still united nation of Israel. In the case of King Hezekiah, it is thought that Hezekiah may have been a co-regent with his father Ahaz for about 13 years. The Bible speaks very highly of Hezekiah. One could speculate how Hezekiah could grow in true godliness, particularly while co-reigning with one who treated God with such utter contempt. Perhaps something to explore in another podcast. The account in 2 Chronicles 29 then likely refers to Hezekiah's sole reign as king upon the death of his father. Note what Hezekiah does. Verse 3 tells us that he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. We see in the rest of the chapter that Hezekiah mobilized the priests and Levites to clean out and reconsecrate the temple for worship of the true God. The account tells us not only what they did, but how quickly they did it. Verse 17 states, They began to consecrate on the first day of the first month, and on the eighth day of the month they came to the vestibule of the Lord. Then for eight days they consecrated the house of the Lord, and on the sixteenth day of the first month they finished. All of this was accomplished in only sixteen days. It is thought that the first day of the first month isn't referring to the first month of the Jewish calendar, but rather is speaking of the first day of the first month of Hezekiah's sole rulership as king. He apparently could not take action while his father was still alive. Yet Hezekiah started the temple cleanup and reconsecration immediately upon his father's death. In other words, he started this as soon as he had full authority to do so. Our takeaway from this is that while our desire to take our faith more seriously has already happened, there might be some circumstances that don't allow us to act on it immediately. This might take time. We learn from Hezekiah the lesson to be ready to move as soon as the circumstances permit. The second account is from the life of the 19th century pastor, evangelist, and orphanage builder, George Mueller. John Piper wrote an interesting account of an event which happened to George Mueller four years after his conversion in 1825. Piper refers to an illness which Mueller experienced in the summer of 1829. Mueller became sick, thank God for providential sickness, and in the summer of 1829 he went for recovery to a town called Teenmouth. There in a little chapel called Ebenezer, at least two crucial discoveries were made the preciousness of reading and meditating on the Word of God and the truth of the doctrines of grace. For ten days, Mueller lived with a nameless man who would change his life forever. Quoting Mueller, Through the instrumentality of this brother, the Lord bestowed a great blessing upon me, for which I shall have cause to thank him throughout eternity. The doctrines of grace refer to the theological system known as Reformed Theology or Calvinism. These two crucial discoveries gave Mueller a foundation for building not only his own theological views, but also how he conducted his piety, in how he read the word, reflected on it, and the effect that this would have on his prayer life. Piper goes on to tell some comments that the then 71-year-old Mueller made to some younger believers in 1876. Quoting Mueller, now in brotherly love and affection, I would give a few hints to my younger fellow believers as to the way in which to keep up spiritual enjoyment. 
It is absolutely needful, in order that happiness in the Lord may continue, that the scriptures be regularly read. These are God's appointed means for the nourishment of the inner man. Consider it and ponder over it. Especially, we should read regularly through the scriptures, consecutively, and not pick out here and there a chapter. If we do, we remain spiritual dwarfs. I tell you so affectionately, for the first four years after my conversion, I made no progress because I neglected the Bible. But when I regularly read on through the whole with reference to my own heart and soul, I directly made progress. Then my peace and joy continued more and more. Now I have been doing this for 47 years. I have read through the whole Bible about 100 times, and I always find it fresh when I begin again. Thus, my peace and joy have increased more and more. Note that 47 years earlier would be 1829, not 1825, the year of Mueller's conversion. Mueller would also state elsewhere that for the first four years of his life as a Christian, he spent time reading books about the Bible, but not the Bible itself. Mueller did not question his conversion in 1825. He did, however, candidly admit his lack of progress and the importance of these two discoveries. This is especially important in a church culture in the Western world in which biblical literacy within the church is measurably rampant. Please note, not every Christian will hold to the doctrines of grace as Mueller did. In fact, it is a minority position within Protestant Christianity. However, I can state that for many who have come to understand and embrace the doctrines of grace, including myself, there was a profound change in our understanding of God, Christ, the Bible, and our human condition. In many ways, coming to that understanding was like experiencing a second conversion. Embracing the doctrines of grace does not make us Christian. While it is important, it is an important secondary issue concerning our faith. Perhaps the area that we as Christians will have the greatest agreement centers on Mueller's call concerning in how we approach Scripture. Mueller's counsel to us, whether we are Reformed or not, is just as relevant today as it was in Mueller's time. I leave you with his counsel to help you in stepping up your walk in Christ. According to my judgment, the most important point to be attended to is this. Above all things, see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. Other things may press upon you. The Lord's work may even have urgent claims upon your attention. But I deliberately repeat, it is of supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all things to have your souls truly happy in God himself. Day by day, seek to make this the most important business of your life. This has been my firm and settled condition for the last five and thirty years. For the first four years after my conversion, I knew not its vast importance. But now, after much experience, I specially commend this point to the notice of my younger brethren and sisters in Christ. The secret of all true effectual service is joy in God, having experiential acquaintance and fellowship with God himself. Thank you for listening to this program. We can be contacted at mail at restoringthecore.com. We're on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash restoringthecore. You can also follow us on Twitter at RestoreTheCore. Thank you for listening. We hope you will join us next time for Finding Hidden Treasure.